Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. So good morning. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Wonderful. Um, one second. I had two things going around my head that I might speak about this morning. And I settled on one of them, and I've written it all out beautifully. And then people started standing up in the middle of worship, talking about the other one. (laughs) So I've spent the last 15 minutes going, Jesus, did I hear you wrong? Do you want me to preach the other message? He's not replied. So I'm banking on my first answer. Uh, The other answer, essentially, I had two groups of things. I thought, this is what it's important to speak about heading into 2024. And uh, the one I've got today is kind of self-contained, covers everything. And the other one was a bit more specific. And we're going to get there in what we've planned to preach over the next few weeks. So that's why I went this way. You'll hear my other one coming, but just... If I look confused, it's because I'm deeply conflicted inside still about, did I write the wrong talk? Um, Often on the first Sunday of the year, it is helpful to talk about vision in the life of the church. What are we going to do this year? What will this year be like? And today, we're kind of going to do that, but we're going to do it from a step further back. And we're going to have a fresh look at not what are we going to do, but who are we going to be this year? Who are we going to be this year? And the passage we're going to read, uh, and the one I think is going to speak to us powerfully, even though I nearly changed it, is a really famous one. Whether you've been in church before or not, almost certainly you've heard some of this story. You find it in Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, uh, why don't you open it up and read along. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will come on the screen. And you will already know, because it was up behind me, we're going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, no, yeah, I've done it wrong. Luke chapter 10, it's the right passage, wrong number at the top. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. 
Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that's like two days' wages, so you can do the maths, and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Heard that story before? There is an awful lot one could say about it. And if you're on our mailing list here at Hope, it's probably at least the second time this week that you've heard the phrase Good Samaritan. If you're not on our mailing list, you may well have seen the news story that we emailed out about over Christmas, a tragic story where a man in Sheffield was out on a post-Christmas walk. He stopped to help an unconscious lady who'd been involved in some sort of fracas. And as he was giving her first aid, a car was deliberately driven at the crowd of people and he died. Chris was his name. He had one of the biggest hearts in anyone I've ever met. He was my friend. We worked together um, on the management team for the Devoted Festival, which our wider family of churches runs. He was my height, which I always appreciate because for some things in life are too small. We used to look eye to eye. He's a long-standing member of our sister church in Sheffield. Just an outstanding man. He's survived by a wife and two sons. It's a heartbreaking story. Truly tragic. And uh, if you've read the news stories, you'll find they call him a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan. And I was praying. I was like, God, I feel like I've got some stuff to bring for 2024. I don't know how to tie it together. And the phrase kept coming back to mind that I'd read in that news story, Good Samaritan. So I read the parable again that we've just read, and I found actually it is a beautiful connection of the themes I had in mind of what God wants to say to us for the year ahead. You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan, no matter what you heard in your school assemblies, is not mainly a story about being kind to people in need. It actually gives us a glimpse into something much greater. And if you like to make notes, these are your three words for this morning, three essential ingredients for faith. In 2024, they are beauty, truth, and grace. Beauty, truth, and grace. One of the reasons the parable of the Good Samaritan is so well known, and more than likely the reason the media have picked it up to use about Chris is that it refers to a beautiful story. The story of the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus told, is a beautiful story. It does something in us when we hear it. The kindness, the self-sacrifice, the the act of crossing the divide, they deeply resonate somewhere inside of us. We all long to experience the love and the mercy that is depicted in the story. Each one of us wants to live in a world where a stranger would go out of their way to help somebody in need. 
We hope that we would do it. And we would really like someone else to do it for us, should we find ourselves in a moment of need. The, the story, it grips us. It grips our hearts with a beauty. We want the world to be like this, because frequently, it's not. People walk on by. People have something more important to do. And so when we, living in this grey, bland world, hear a beautiful story, or hear of an incredible example of this kind of love in action, it speaks in kind of a 4K HD technicolor about a better world, a better way of life. When I was in my early 20s, a friend and I, we lived together, and we had to find somewhere else to live pretty quickly. And so we looked around a few flats, and they all kind of pretty much looked the same. Maybe you've lived in one like this. The walls were all the same sort of color. The furniture was all cheap. They were all not really where you wanted to be because you couldn't afford to be where you wanted to be, but they were sort of near where you wanted to be. So we looked around a few of them, and eventually we plumped for the one that we could move into the quickest. And, and it was fine. The walls were all the same kind of off-white. You know the colour? Picture it. Sorry if your house is... <laughs> the same kind of off-white. <sighs> Awkward. Uh, the sofa uh, was new, which was a big plus from my student houses. Um, but it was low-backed and hard, and I think in nine months of living there, I never once got comfortable on it. I had an ensuite. Thank you. Um, but the mixer tap on the shower was broken despite being absolutely brand new. And so you had two choices, boiling, scalding hot, or <laughs> freezing cold. So I never used my ensuite. I used the health bathroom for nine months in spite of having it in my room. It was kind of a basic flat. And um, we were some of the first few people into this brand new complex in our bland flat. And one day... I was in the lift with someone and got chatting to them, and it turned out she was a letting agent and was furnishing another flat in the complex, to, ready to advertise. And, to, to, and she said, how do you find living here? And I said, it's, you know, it's fine. She said, how's your flat? I said, it's like, like every rental flat, isn't it? Everything's the same color, and not everything works, and everything's new, but it's all cheap. She was like, you should come and see the flat that I'm getting ready. So I did, and I walked in, and there was art on the walls. And there was an incredibly comfortable-looking sofa in the living room. And they had actually painted a different colour onto some of the walls in the living area of this flat. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So much better than what I'm used to, the bland boring, disappointing flat that I spent my life in. This one was beautiful, and I didn't know that gentrified, budget, city centre living for young professionals could look as good as the flats that I had just been... Ch it changed my perspective on what I should look for in somewhere to live. And the parable of the Good Samaritan does something similar to us. It stops us in our tracks, 
It depicts behavior so much better than we expect, so much better than we're used to. It is a beautiful story. We want to live in a world where that kindness exists. Is that right? And that's why our culture still uses the phrase Good Samaritan to describe somebody, despite the fact that it often refuses the storyteller, Jesus. I want to suggest to us that the reason that we and the world around us finds the story beautiful is that for the last 2,000 years, the way we see the world has been fundamentally shaped by one story, the Jesus story. Whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, if you live in the West part of the globe, Jesus is the biggest influence on how you see the world. The people you work with, the people you live near, the people you're related to, Christian or not, the biggest thing that influences how they see the world is Jesus. If we could find a Viking who had been cryogenically frozen, come with me, (laughs) and we could thaw him out, and we could tell him the story of the Good Samaritan, do you know what he'd do? He'd laugh in your face. He'd say, that's not a beautiful story, it's a ridiculous story. The ancient Greeks would find it deeply odd. The Romans would turn their noses up at you. We think it's a beautiful story because we think every human being has value and dignity. That's the reason, in our mind, the Good Samaritan stopped to help. In the story, the man is just a man. There's just a man. He's walking, and then he's at the side of the road. We know nothing about him. There's nothing in him that makes him worthy of help, apart from the fact that he is a human being. And the root of that view is the Bible. Before the Bible was read around the world, that's not what people thought. The Bible says that everyone is made in the image of God, and is loved by God, and has dignity because of it. We have dignity and value, every single human being, because God made us and loves us. And the reason the West thinks it is because of that book. It's a big claim. It's not my claim. I got it from a man called Tom Holland. Not Spider-Man. The other one, the historian. He wrote a book called Dominion. I read it a few years ago. Brilliant read. And he makes this exact argument. He says, what has won the battle to shape the view of the West is the Jesus story. Whether you're a Christian or not, Christianity and Jesus are the biggest shaping factor on how you see the world. And over Christmas, I've been listening to a podcast series, second recommendation of the preach this morning called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. And in it, the guy doing it, Justin, is charting a change in public conversation. Fifteen years ago, when this church started, the new atheists dominated public conversation. And they basically said this, if you believe in God, you're stupid. And you're probably dangerous. And we should do everything we can to get rid of religion from the public square. You remember this? 
You had the God Delusion book by Richard Dawkins. You had Christopher Hitchens, other people writing stuff about this. People of faith are silly, they're foolish, primitive, and religion as a whole, especially after 9-11, is dangerous. That was their entire argument. But this series that I've been listening to, it makes the case and points out that the conversation's changed. It's now really common to find voices in the media, a bit like Tom Holland, who's not a Christian, highlighting how important Christianity is. Saying things like, we need Christian values. Christianity holds the fabric of our society together. What they're saying is this, yes, the Good Samaritan is beautiful, but we're not bothered about the one who told the story. However, if the story of the Good Samaritan is beautiful, but not true, if the value of every human being is only useful, it's not real, if you try and say everybody has dignity and worth, but it's got nothing to do with God existing as the one who gives dignity and worth, then where's your basis for it? Why are you right and the Viking wrong? If the Good Samaritan is just a story and it's not based in truth, is it really beautiful at all? Isn't it foolish? Here's a man who spends his own money on someone he doesn't know. Someone who probably dislikes him. He puts himself in harm's way, stopping on a dangerous road in order to help him, takes him into the town and writes a blank check for the man he doesn't know and who probably dislikes him, recuperation. Are we sure that's beautiful? Are we sure that's not foolish? Surely, surely that story is only beautiful if the Jesus story is true. And in 2024... We're living at a moment in time when our world is conflicted because it loves the dignity and value part for each and every person. We call them human rights. But the problem is if you remove God from the equation as the one who gives dignity and worth, it isn't at all apparent or obvious that anybody should stop to help the person at the side of the road. The majority of people who have ever lived would tell you you're bonkers for doing so. Our defrosted Viking would stand here and tell you, look, it's clear. Some people are stronger than others. Some people are more worthy than others. And then he'd club you over the head and he'd steal all your sheep. That's how the world works, he'd say, laughing as he sailed off in his longboats. Accepting the values without accepting the one who gives them causes some significant problems, and we live in the middle of some of these problems. What do you do when the dignity and value of different groups collide? Think of any examples going on in our world where dignity and value collide? How about international relations, poverty, migration, refugees? That's what's going on. The dignity and value of different groups colliding. Think about the sanctity of life. 
Euthanasia. You see Esther Ranson arguing for it before Christmas. Abortion. Collision of different dignity and rights. Think about identity, sexuality and gender and the collision of dignity and rights that's going on in that whole conversation in our society. If you don't have a reason for saying that people have value and worth, you just think they do, you have no way of navigating, no way of settling, no way of understanding, well, how can life actually work? But the truth of the Christian story gives us sustainable answers. The Good Samaritan is a beautiful story because it's based in truth. The idea that humanity and every human being has innate value and dignity and worth is truly a Christian idea. Stopping to help the weak, the injured, the forgotten, the despised, the ignored, only makes sense if the Jesus story is true. And if it is true, it doesn't just mean that humans have value. It changes everything. It changes our very lives. The other preach I could have given this morning centered on the word surrender. Based on the paradox of Isaiah 43, as Heather read out, see, I'm doing a new thing. And Ecclesiastes 1, where it says, there's nothing new. It all exists in God and always has done. And both are true. There's nothing new. God's not different than he was yesterday. He's not even doing something different. He's doing what he's always done. It's beautiful and true. But it's going to cause different outworking in our moment. The main point of the Good Samaritan is not be nice to people in need. The parable of the Good Samaritan is beautiful and compelling because it goes beyond how we treat each other. And behind it, it's telling us about what God is like. The words used in the story we read were love and mercy. And those two words, they come together as the building blocks of what we call grace in the church. To find a beaten and bleeding man from a neighboring community where there's distrust and disconnection at the side of the road, and to risk your own safety, to spend your own money, and to discomfort yourself on their behalf is an incredible grace. It's not only the heart of the parable, that's the heart of the Christian story. That God, in his love and mercy, acted on behalf of those who are beaten and enslaved by sin, who are living in distrust of God and disconnection with him and with other people. And so he came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, fully God yet fully human, laid down the entire riches of heaven, discomforted himself and ultimately spent not his money but his life, dying a painful and blooded death on our behalf, in our place, before rising from the dead to gain victory over our enemies, sin, evil, and death, to create the possibility of a new life for us free from its power. That's way beyond kindness to a stranger. It's the story of a gracious rescue. 
Christianity centers on grace. All the benefits that we've been singing about and hearing about this morning are given as a result of this act of outrageous grace by Jesus. None of them are earned. No thing that we've talked about this morning is merited. None of it is deserved. And it's taken me an awfully long time to get here, but friends, this is the point. In 2024, there is a year that is crying out for beauty. There is a year that is hungry, deeply hungry for truth. And desperate for the message of grace that you and I possess. Physically, we've never been more comfortable than we are right now. We have central heating, universal healthcare, global supply chains. But emotionally, our world is terrifying. We're told, you'll have heard me say this before, that anything is possible for you if you put your mind to it. But the great travesty of that statement is that if your life doesn't work out how you hoped, the fault is with you. Have you noticed that? If you can do anything, if you put your mind to it, but then you put your mind to it and it doesn't quite happen, where can you go? That's on you. It's a hideously ugly consequence of something that sounds nice, but is actually enslaving. We're told, you do you. At least those of us under a certain age are told, you do you. But then you will find that if the you that you do is not the you that other people want, if it doesn't fulfill the undefined rules that somewhere exist, the rejection of you is savage. 30 seconds on social media. I can prove my point. You do you, unless we don't like you. Unless you deviate from the rules that someone else has made up somewhere else. Friends, the weight of this performance that is thrust upon us is bewildering and brutal. But the antidote is grace. The beautiful story of the Good Samaritan speaks to the very depths of our souls. If you do nothing this year, if all you do is lie beaten and blooded at the side of the road, God loves you. And the victory of Jesus is enough for you. If your performance reviews at work are negative, if your kid is struggling, if your marriage is crumbling, God loves you. And the victory of Jesus is enough for you. If your walk through 2024 is shrouded in darkness and pain and grief, if you lose your identity or you still don't manage to find your identity, if your financial and emotional security are on a downward trend, the love of God for you stands unfailingly strong. And the victory of Jesus will always be enough for you. If in 2024 you soar to great heights, if everything you put your hand to is fruitful, if your wildest dreams come true, you find fulfillment and friendship and you leave your mark on the world for everybody to see, the love of God will still be your greatest possession. 
And the victory of Jesus will still be the only thing that's actually worth having. This is grace. And the Good Samaritan puts it in 4K HD Technicolor for you and I to see. It tells us that the love of God and the victory of Jesus are given freely, whilst we're unconscious and blooded at the side of the road. Yet they are the most valuable and important things we can ever or will ever possess. Worldly performance, worldly acceptance, enslavers and emptiers. Jesus' work on our behalf, the Father's complete acceptance of you, satisfies and sustains. And so at the dawn of 2024, the most important thing that we can each know is that God really is as beautiful as the parable says he is. Jesus really is that good. Our hearts long to know that somebody would stop for us were we in that place. And the parable tells us that somebody has. It's not just a nice thought. It's not something we wish were true. It is a beautiful truth. A beautiful truth about the grace of God extravagantly given in love, if you will receive it. 2024 is a year that needs beauty, a year that needs truth, and a year that needs grace. Jesus' closing words in the parable to the teacher of the law are, Go and do likewise. There's a word for 2024. You've seen beauty. You've found truth. You've experienced grace. Now, from that experience, go and do likewise. A few years ago, a prophetic picture for hope was sent to us as leaders by email, and the person who sent it had been reading about the vast greenhouses in the Netherlands where they grow tulips. Anyone ever seen them? The picture on the uh, screen is kind of found from them. The email read like this, Hope is a greenhouse where there is protection from the adverse external conditions. We don't need to be told that our world has some adverse external conditions. My friends, grace is what protects us. This knowledge of what God has done for us. The email continued, and there is good, nutritious soil for the plants to grow in. That's the truth. It's not just wishful thinking. Genuine truth that feeds our souls direct from the mouth of God. And so the seeds and plants, which are both people and projects in the church, will grow and blossom and fill the world. That's the beauty. Grace Truth, beauty. It's a word for 2024. The way to receive grace is not to go and do likewise, but once you've received grace, the call is go and do likewise. It's the fruit of having experienced it. The people of God, those who've received his outrageous grace, are called to go in its power and to bring beauty to all of the world, wherever they may go. You want to know what your life is for in 2024? that you would bring beauty 
through the grace of God, wherever your feet may step. Often on the first Sunday of the year, as I started with, it's helpful to talk about vision. What are we going to do this year? But today we've gone back a step and looked at who we're going to be this year. That prophetic picture of the greenhouse where grace protects and enables us to flourish, where truth feeds us and grows us and causes us to mature, and the result is a beauty filling the world around us. That's the heart of what we want to be here at Hope Church. If you're new, welcome. That's what we're trying to do. It's not a static picture. It's not, if we all come here on a Sunday, this is what will happen. It's not, we try to take over your lives and put you inside a big glass box. It's about the value. It's about the culture of this community that as we buy in together and our shared commitment to, here's the other word again, surrender to the ways of God. Beauty, truth, and grace are the things that flow. That by being part of this family, together, with our lives, everywhere we go, we're empowered by grace, built on truth, and growing in beauty. It's God's plan A for seeing the world transformed and are the essential ingredients for following Jesus in 2024. I'm going to finish in a moment by taking communion together, but can we pray? Why don't you just slow your breathing for a moment, become conscious of where you are, become aware of God with us. Father, we're so thankful for the beauty of this story that tells us of the value and the dignity that each one of us has because of who you are, because of what you've done, and because of what you say. I pray that the love that flows from you to us would be experienced afresh now by those who need to know they're loved. I pray where grace is needed because we're carrying dirty clothes or weights from the past as came through in the worship. I pray grace would flow like a river and meet us each where we are. Lord, I pray that where we're fitting things together in our minds to try and understand things, that truth would win out. We thank you that it is about faith. It's about choosing to believe, but it's not about burying our heads in the sand. We thank you that following in the ways of Jesus really is the way to a flourishing, wholehearted life. We pray we'd understand it more and more. And Lord, we pray that beauty would follow in our footsteps, would spring up from the ground everywhere we go, would come out of our mouths, would colour our actions, would touch the world around us, a beauty that points to you. For your glory. Amen. Amen.